0: 20 but the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold silver brass stone and wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk and they did not repent of their murders of their sorceries or their sexual immoralities or their thefts you may be seated And once again, we want to say to you, so thankful for your attendance today. We say welcome to all of our guests. Uh, If you are a guest, you may have uh, noticed the uh, attendance card inside your packet. Uh, Please pass those to the inside aisle. You'll be picked up at this time. By the way, we have one of those young men who's a brand new Christian. Very, very proud of that young man. Appreciate him so very much. I keep on changing as we go through this study on the book of Revelation. I keep on saying, well, that chapter was the most difficult chapter of all. And then the next time I get to the next chapter, (laughs) I say, well, that chapter is the most difficult chapter of all. Chapter 9, it's a doozy. It's hard. But it's a chapter that we need to hear. In fact, this chapter could possibly be the most important chapter in the book of Revelation that you will hear during this series. Before we get into chapter 9, we're actually going to be the last half of chapter 9. Let me remind you of a few things. First off, my disclaimer. I may be wrong. You know, when you look at Revelation, it's confusing, to say the least. I may be wrong. My interpretation of Revelation is based entirely on what was the message for the early Christians. Revelation 1, verse 1, and also in verse 3, John says that I'm writing these things which shall shortly come to pass. Not a thousand years down the road, not two thousand years down the road, it will shortly come to pass. But also, I believe we can apply that message to our lives today. In chapter 4, we saw the great throne room of God, (laughs) we saw the glory, the majesty. Of God Himself. And then we've got chapter 5. We've got a scroll. Who is worthy to open it? Only the Lamb is worthy to open that scroll. In chapter 6, judgment. Judgment is coming. We've got four horsemen and we've got six of seven seals. You may remember that I asked you to write the word catalyst down. Because when I look at the book of Revelation, it's a catalyst. What's a catalyst? Something that gets a process going faster. It's a catalyst to cause all of us to want to reach out to family and friends before it's too late. And certainly chapter 6 is a great catalyst to cause us to want to evangelize, to reach out. Chapter 7. The early Christians needed to hear this. The faithful obedient will be saved. Guess what, folks? They're going to win. By the way, we win too. Okay, We win too. What brought the Roman Empire to its knees? A majority of historians will point to three main factors. Catastrophic natural disasters. There was certainly a peak during the Roman Empire days, a significant peak in natural disasters. Who brought that on them? God. Second, moral decay. Moral decay and enemies, outside enemies. In chapter 8, chapter 8 we come face to the natural disasters. And we are reminded that prayer makes a difference. In the face of the so-called natural disasters, Christians should continue to pray. And then in chapter 9, last week we looked at moral decay and how moral decay was like locusts that would come in and slowly but surely eat away and take away the fiber of a nation. Here in the last half of chapter 9, we're going to meet up with enemies. But before we do that, we have a short story. It happened eight years ago. A woman came up missing in the country of Iceland. She was a tourist, and she came up missing. She had signed up for one of those uh, big bus tours. You know, when you get a bunch of people, like 50 people on a bus, and you go around on a tour. This tour was of the volcanic canyons of Iceland. And they rolled up to their first destination. Everybody got off and went through the canyon and and looked at the volcanoes. But when they got back on the bus, the tour guide noticed that the woman wearing the bright orange outfit was missing. Where was she? They started looking. Folks on the bus got off and started looking for her. After about an hour of not finding her, they alerted the authorities. The police came in, had search dogs and all of that, and and they started looking. Couldn't find her. Ten hours later, they found her. Guess where she was? She was on the bus all the time. What happened? Well, this woman was from Italy. All she spoke was Italian and just a little bit of English. She had got off the bus to go with the group, and she had actually fallen down and got dirty. She had in her backpack some blue jeans and a shirt. She decided to kind of get off by herself behind some trees, and what did she do? She changed her clothes and then proceeded to get back on the bus. She had no idea they were looking for her until finally, finally someone figured it out. I tell that story for a reason. That describes a lot of people. That describes a lot of people that you know. They have no idea that they're missing. They have no idea that they're lost and in need of a Savior. Perhaps, perhaps that describes some of you. You're in the church, or like in our story, you're on the bus, so to speak, and you do good things like joining the search party, But friends, you're lost. You're outside of God's protection. You don't know that you are the one that needs to be found. You don't know that you are the one who needs to repent. The early Christians, they needed to hear this, and so do we today. So what happens to people like that? What happens to people who don't realize their need and turn to Christ to save them? Well, let's turn to Revelation 9, where we see what happens to those who wait too long to let God rescue them from their sins. Verse 13, Then the six angels sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar. Now, we've already encountered the golden altar, which is before God. Remember that golden altar? This is the altar of incense from which the prayers, circle that word prayers, the prayers of believers sin before God. We are once again reminded that our prayers, hey folks, our prayers do make a difference with our sovereign God. Our prayers do affect world events. Amen? Amen. Verse 14 Say unto the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound. Now, notice, When angels are bound, that's something that's bad, it's about to happen. Get ready. Release the four angels who are bound, where? At the great river Euphrates. Interesting. The Euphrates River is a very important river in world history and geography. It was the eastern edge of the Roman Empire during the New Testament time period. And also, it guarded the main trade route to India, gemstones, and to China, spices, that was so needed by the Roman Empire. Verse 15, So the four angels who had been prepared... Hey, notice, this is not happening willy-nilly. God is in control. Who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and year. God is in control. We're released to kill a third of mankind. Now, when you see a third of mankind, what does that tell you? This is not a scene of hell. This is not eternal punishment in eternity. This is limited. This is what's happening, will happen to the Roman Empire. It's limited. It's not going to happen globally. It's not going to happen for all of mankind. We're not talking eternity here. We're talking just Roman Empire. Now the number of the army of the horsemen I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. The number of the army of the horsemen were 200 million. I heard the number of them. Rome faced constant battles in maintaining their empire, especially from the Parthians. Now, who were the Parthians? In your mind, picture Persia back in the Old Testament. You've got roughly the area of the Parthians. They faced tremendous opposition from the Parthians in the first century, second century, even up to almost the middle of the third century. Where do we find the Parthians? East of the Euphrates. How could the Parthians keep on defeating Rome? Because they beat, they actually beat Rome many, many, many times. One way. The Parthians were expert horsemen. They were expert horsemen. Now, Rome had their cavalry, yes. But their cavalry was nothing like the Parthians. The Parthians knew how to use cavalry. They knew how to use horses. And because of that, they kept on defeating Rome. Rome didn't like that. Rome got whooped, as the old country boy would say, more times than not. Rome loved to talk about their Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. In reality, it wasn't very peaceful in the Roman Empire. The enemies, along with the catastrophic natural disasters we've already talked about in chapter 8, and the moral decay, the first part of chapter 9, this all spells doom for Rome. These should have been signs to people. This past week, I I stumbled upon, I've been reading as much as I can, I stumbled upon a, a, a writing of a historian. Actually, he was a Parthian. Here's what he said. He got it almost right. He said, Considering all the things that were happening against Rome, you would think that they would get the message that the gods were not happy. They made one mistake there. They said, gods. Take off the S, capitalize the G, that guy got it right. God was not happy with him. He was not happy how they were treating his children at all. 200 million. That's a blown up number to represent the vast number of enemy troops Rome eventually faced. There were very few years for Rome to go without a challenge from an enemy. Verse 17, and thus I saw the horses. We're talking the Parthians here. Thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red. The Parthians knew how to prepare for battle hyacinth blue, sulfur yellow. The heads of the horses yes, the horses even had their own armor, they had their own protection. The heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire and smoke and brimstone. Now, yeah, the vision is deadly for a purpose. Hey, Christians, you need to try to reach out to your friends and family because they're doomed if they don't obey. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents, having heads and and with them they do harm. They should have got the message. I mean, God is knocking on their door. They should have got the message. I want you to remember this passage. I'm going to refer to it again a little later. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now, behold, now is a day of salvation. Remember this passage because it's going to make sense in just a few moments. Right now is your time to come to Jesus. Those of you who are watching on Facebook, right now is your time to come to Jesus because there is coming a day when you will not want to. There's coming a day when nothing will persuade you, not even the threat of death. A day will come when people you love will refuse to repent. Maybe even you. Folks will refuse to turn from their sins. And they will refuse to turn to Jesus, who alone, only Jesus, can save them from their sins. The early Christians, they needed to hear this, and so do we today. Note the warning now in verse 20. But the rest of mankind, those who did not die from the natural disasters... Those who survived the moral decay and the enemies. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. They did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they, what? Did not repent. Circle that. Did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. You recognize one of these? We haven't seen those in a while, have we? Those old phone booths. Funny story happened. It was told by a operator a phone operator in a very small town a man had got into one of these phone booths had closed the door he was making a long distance phone call a business call this operator interrupted said 50 cents please and he'd put in 50 more cents the man refused i've already given you some money i don't want to give you any more money just hush and he kept on talking the operator said 50 cents please he kept on talking and talking until he finished his phone call and hung up. A few minutes later, that same operator got a call from that guy. He put in a dime, dialed operator. The guy said, I give up, I give up. I'll give you your 50 cents, just open the door. He thought that she had control over the door. In actuality, it was damned. She said, well, it's not going to be just 50 cents. You went way over. It's going to be a dollar and 50 cents. Okay, I'll pay it. He puts it in, you know. And she says, all you need to do is just kick the door. (laughs) It'll open. Now, why do I tell that story? That's what usually happens when people are trapped. They change their tone of voice and ask for help. Then that's true for most people, but not all. There is coming a day when folks you know will become content to remain trapped in their sins. Their hearts will be so hard they will refuse to cry out for help. Maybe that will be you. In 1985, 56... 56 fans that were sitting watching a soccer game, they call it football over there, in England died from a fire. None of the 56 should have died. Because when the fire broke out, it broke out in a press box and quickly spread. The fire alarms went off. Ushers were begging people to leave the stands and to exit through the proper doors. So, why did the 56 die? Because they refused to stop watching the game on the field. And they died in the fire. Here's the point when the fires of judgment are upon us, for some, we are less likely to change, not more likely. For some, we're less likely to repent. For some, we're less likely to turn from our sin and take the escape that God has provided through Jesus Christ. So please, please, don't wait until then. Instead, repent today before it's too late. One of the most difficult funerals I ever was called to officiate. Was a funeral of a young man. I had been studying with him for for several months. I knew he was close. He kept on telling me, "Michael, I, I'm going to, I'm going to become a Christian. Don't worry. You know, I, I'll do it when I want, when I'm ready. I'll do it. Hey, I'm 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 almost ready. I'm almost ready." A drunk driver hit him. He died instantly at the scene. What could I say at his funeral? Think about that. What could I say at his funeral? Repent today before it is too late. Turn to Jesus today before you no longer want to turn to him. Give your heart to him before your heart is so hard there is nothing that could ever persuade you to change your mind. Hebrews chapter six, for it is impossible. Note, read impossible. Well, writer of Hebrews, what is impossible? Well, let's continue. For those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Have tasted the good word of God and the powers. Of the age to come. Now, who's he talking about? These are Christians. So, what's impossible for a Christian to do? Verse 6 If they shall fall away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. What's the writer saying? There's a point out there. There's a point of no return when you just stop listening. When God's Word stops having any impact on your heart. The point of no return is unseen by mankind. But I promise it's there. For that young man I was studying with, he crossed his point of no return. He died before he could become a Christian. The point of no return, you can't see it, but it's there. Don't take the risk because the outcome is too terrible. It's too terrible. To live all eternity apart from God. Right now, God is calling you to worship Him with your life. It's a beautiful song. It's contained in the pages of Genesis all the way through Revelation. It's a beautiful song inviting all to become a part of its beauty. Please respond today before the only thing, the only thing you hear in your heart is nothingness. The early Christians, they desperately needed to hear this. This is another catalyst chapter. This is another chapter to cause them to want to reach out to their family and friends before it was too late. And it's a message that you and I need to hear today. Now, there's an old fictional story. Let me Emphasize the word fictional. That describes Satan in a meeting with all his demons. Satan wanted to send one of his demons down to earth to aid men and women in the ruining of their souls. Satan asked for volunteers. One creature came forward and said, I will go. Satan said, If I send you, what would you tell the children of men? He said, I'll tell the children of men that there is no heaven. Satan said, no. They will not believe you, for there is a bit of heaven in every human heart. In the end, everyone knows that right and good must have the victory. You may not go. Another came forward, darker and fouler than the first. Satan said, If I send you, what will you tell the children of men? He said, well, I'll tell them them there's no hell. I'll tell them there's no hell. Satan looked at him and said, Oh no, they'll not believe you. For in every human heart, there's a thing called an inner voice which testifies to the truth that not only will good be triumphant, but that evil will be defeated. You may not go. Finally, one last creature came forward. This one from the darkest place of all. Satan said to him, And if I send you, what will you say to men and women to aid them in the destruction of their souls? He thought about it for a while. He said, Huh, I'll tell you what I'll tell them. I'll tell them there's no hurry you got plenty of time to respond. There's no hurry. Satan laugh with glee. Go quickly and ruin their souls. You get the point? We have no promise of tomorrow. In fact, we have no promise of the next hour, even the next minute. My dear friends, and I emphasize the word friends because I love you all. Don't you believe it for one moment. The time of salvation is now. Go back to that verse, Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. This is the day of salvation. For the longer you put off turning to Christ, the harder it is to do so. I can promise you that. Because every time you want to get up and come down forward, Satan is pulling on your coat's tail, holding you back. You don't need to go. you got plenty of time. Don't need to do it now. Don't believe it. Please, don't believe it. The early Christians, they needed to hear this, and so do we today. The Bible says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Don't harden your hearts. Please turn from your sin and trust Christ with your life and obey before your heart gets so hard. Nothing can penetrate it. That point of no return is out there somewhere. You and I can't see it, but it's there. Please repent before you no longer want to repent. You see this every time I'm up here. You'll see it until the day I die. Believe, repent, confess, be baptized. I will never stop preaching that. Because that's what it takes to become a Christian. As a Christian, do you need to seek His forgiveness? When you look at your life, can people see Jesus living in your life? If not, you need to seek His forgiveness. 1 John 1, the church stands ready to pray with you and for you. We're going to have elders down here waiting for you. Will you make that stand today for Him? Will you please come as we sing for your encouragement?